Welcome to episode four of Impal Ear Audiology with Dr. Carrie Spangler. So welcome to the Impal Ear Audiology podcast. My name is Dr. Carrie Spangler and I am your host, a passionate audiologist with a lifelong journey living with hearing challenges in this vibrant hearing world. I wanted to have an empowering podcast for all of my listeners. Whether you're a professional, a parent, an individual with hearing loss, or just want to be inspired, I am glad that you are here with us today. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. So today, I'm really excited to have one of our Ohio's all-star parents on our podcast today. Camille Warren is here today, and she is going to share a little bit about her own family journey, parenting children with hearing loss, as well as we plan to have a little conversation about the uncertainties of returning to school, whether that's in-person, hybrid, remote, a whole mix of everything, and what that means being a parent uh, of children that do have hearing loss. So, Camille, welcome to the podcast, and thank you for being here today. Thanks for having me, Carrie. Yes. So, um, before we get started, I thought I was just kind of thinking how we have known each other for a long time. Yeah, we have. And yep. I'm trying to think of when we actually met. Well, as I as I recall, that was um, when you were serving as co-chair of the new Universal Newborn Hearing Screening Subcommittee here in Ohio, and um, somebody had suggested that I join that subcommittee um, as a parent because there's a parent role in that subcommittee as well. So I remember having conversations with you on the phone before my first meeting, and I think that that's, that's when we first talked. All right. So that was probably at least maybe 15 years ago? Um, I don't think it was quite that long ago. Uh, because, yeah, because Ellie, think- who you're going to talk about, her... Right. Yes. I think that all three of my children with hearing loss had been born at that point, and my youngest with hearing loss is now 10. So I would okay. guess maybe nine years ago. Okay. Yeah, so- that makes sense. Time flies. Yeah. And... I just always appreciate your positive um, and very proactive voice in the state of Ohio because you've done so much for the newborn hearing screening committee and also for advocating for newborn hearing screening or um, hearing aid for kids in Ohio. And hopefully um, we'll be able to have some more movement with that in the future here once um, our coronavirus settles down here. Right. Um, but Camille, can you just share a little bit about yourself and your own family and your kids and kind of how you got to this leadership role of advocating for kids? Sure. Um, I I think that I sort of fell into it after I had my own kids who have hearing loss. Um, I have four children, uh, the oldest three of whom are identified with moderate or moderately severe, depending on the kid, um, hearing loss. My oldest is Ellie, and she is 17. And then I have Teresa, and she is um, 13. And Toby is 10. And then I have a toddler, Bernadette. She is two. Um, 
so my oldest was identified. Um, she she passed her newborn screen, and she was identified at three and a half with a moderate hearing loss. Um, they identified it through just sort of a general preschool um, screening that her, her private preschool brought somebody in to do hearing hearing and speech screenings on all the kids, and um, so they happened to identify her through that. Um, after she was identified, um, my next daughter was young. She was like six months old when my oldest was identified. And so she um, started going in every six months for um, for hearing tests because of family history at that point. Um, and she had also passed her newborn screen. Mm-hmm. Um, she had some middle ear effusion as a little one. Um, and so she had, we didn't have a great test until she was about 13 months old after having PE tubes placed. Um, so they, they put in tubes and then at 14 months, um, she tested with fine hearing. Her hearing was fine at 14 months old. And then we went six months later for a follow-up and she tested with a hearing loss at 20 months. So, um, somewhere between 14 and 20 months, she, she lost her hearing. And then my next child, um, was born and he also passed his newborn screen. But he was a C-section and we were in the hospital for four days. And so they tested him four times, which mm-hmm. <laughs> I didn't know at the time, even a, even a, you know, a, a seasoned parent who had been around this a few times, I didn't know that they weren't supposed to test four times. So um, it took four attempts for him to pass um, his hearing screen. So we still, because of our strong family history at that point, we went for, a, um, for an ABR at one month, the full diagnostic testing at one month. Um, and he did have a mild hearing loss at that point. So even though he passed his newborn screen, he probably shouldn't have. He should have referred after the second testing, really. Um, and then he had a further progression of hearing loss at about age three. We, we um, went for audiology at about age three, and he had progressed to the moderately severe range. So um, those are my... Those are my three kids with hearing loss. Um, I also have the toddler. So because my kids have all been identified or have had progression within toddler range, we're keeping a close eye on her. Um, but so far, she seems to be progressing normally. She passed her newborn screen. We did take her for a full diagnostic screen, full diagnostic test anyway, because of our family history. Um, and she also passed that. And she's had a few uh, follow-up audiograms as well that have also gone well. So, so far, so good for her. Well, that's good. So you obviously have a lot of experience with having three out of your four kids um, having some degree of hearing loss. And neither one of your husband nor yourself had hearing loss, correct? I actually have um, a moderate hearing loss on one side. um, And it occurred for me suddenly at age 30. Um, My my daughter had... um, had what is, I mean, it was never identified, but what was this suspected to be RSV. And um, I also had a cold at the same time. And I was so concerned about her um, that I wasn't really worried about the fact that I suddenly couldn't hear. So I didn't follow up right away. Um, as, as an aside, if an adult ever has a sudden onset hearing loss, you should go to your ENT right away. <laughs> um, but it's, yeah, no, it, it's a, it's a moderate loss. It's about um, approximately the same as it looks very similar to my oldest daughter's um, sort of cookie bite presentation. So it's unknown as to whether mine is 
is related to theirs um, because it looks so similar or mm -hmm. if it's due to a due to a viral uh, cause. So, yeah, but it's only one sided. Okay. Wow. So <laughs> I'm sure though, with all of this going on right now in the world, um, there's been a lot that has impacted, I think, the world of um, individuals who have hearing challenges, um, right. whether it's a unilateral loss, maybe yourself, um, as well as your as well as your kids. But um, I had the opportunity a couple of weeks ago to talk to um, administrator at the national level, Cheryl DeCandy Johnson, and we had a lot of conversation about reopening of schools. Mm -hmm. And then Tina Childress and I had some conversations about um, just adults in the world um, who happen to be educational ideologists and what our feelings are in going back to school. So I'm curious um, to find out from you, from a parent perspective, um, and I'm sure your, your kids are talking to you about returning to school. Um, but before we talk about return, return to school, um, we all shut down in March in Ohio. And so went to a quick online virtual platform. And I know all of our teachers are amazing in the fact that they could pivot so quick and try to make things happen when you're not used to teaching that way. Um, but it does pose a lot of, I think, challenges um, when we are talking about learning and accommodation. So was there anything that you learned or that kind of stuck out to you homeschooling your kids through this um, pandemic part of March through now? Right. So it's back in March. Um, I think the things that worked well for my, for my kids, a big plus was um, getting the Roger DM system from the school in order to use that um, with online with zoom calls and things like that 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 really helped a lot as far as um you know sort of cutting down on on distractions and background noise and that sort of thing um it, i'm trying to think of each each kid uh, you know as as the alternative to that like distractions were really hard mm -hmm. um my girl especially really struggles with you know a zoom call that at the time had over 20 kids called into it and the teacher and she she was free to keep kids kids engaged and would try and replicate things that they had been doing in the classroom which was a great concept but it was very hard for him to follow so she would do things like in the morning she would question and then go around the room and ask all of the kids to answer the icebreaker, which sometimes was okay. And sometimes it was the kid build off of something that the previous student had said. Mm -hmm. And the, the building conversation was really hard for him to grasp everything that had been said, hold on to all of that, that, that language information and then build top of it in, in the moment that that he was given so that kind of thing was really difficult um even though he had been doing similar kind of icebreaker get to know you get comfortable kind of um activities in the classroom all year long so like in in the classroom 
he was comfortable with it, he could participate and it was fine. But when you put it online, it was just this whole other level that was that was hard for him. Mm-hmm. So that that's the kind of thing that I would say was was hard. Um, when as time went on, the teachers got better and better at muting and unmuting students <laughs> mm-hmm. as as they as she needed to do in order to keep this whole room, this whole group of 20 plus 10 year olds from, you know, making making noises in the background. Mm-hmm. And so that got better and better. Um, I think a combination of unmuting people as needed um, to a certain extent, breaking down into smaller groups mm-hmm. and also the use of the Roger system, all of those things together um, definitely helped him feel like he was in a place where he could participate better. Did the um, teachers do anything like in the zoom meetings as they went forward, I know you said they broke them into smaller groups and they were able to use the Rogers system, but did they have any other, like maybe rules for their Zoom or Google Classroom meetings that helped your kids? I think a big rule always was, um, was they were supposed to, as much as possible, have video on and have mics off (laughs) unless you had to say something you were supposed to have your microphone off that would make it a little bit easier for her to manage the room if she wasn't constantly muting people um i I think that that definitely helped um one other thing is an example you know talking about elementary school is very different than talking about high school and and i do think that there are challenges in elementary school that are they're just different Um, she was planning on, you know, it's that time in the year that she had a certain book planned for a read aloud. And so she did her read aloud over Zoom, which is fine. But whereas normally Toby would have been okay in the classroom without having a book to read himself. When you put it online, it was just one more step more difficult. So we bought him a copy of the book and he was able to read as the teacher was reading. Um, that kind of thing, it just became very obvious when and where he needed visual supports. Mm-hmm. Um, for the most part, it was things that were auditory only that he suddenly, you know, he over classroom, he might have been fine, but via Zoom, he needed he needed some visual support as well. These are all good. I was writing down some of these notes because I think um, whether... A lot of schools are going back either a hybrid model or on a virtual platform. And right. we can take what this turnaround was really quickly, even though in the spring, and use it for our advantage moving into right. the fall. Right. Yeah. So. The other thing that, that I will add that we are doing this year going forward, um, again, specifically for Toby, and I think a lot of this is just because coming from the spring, he was the one that struggled with it the most. It mm-hmm. was, it was different in high school. They were already used to doing a lot of things self-paced and interacting with all of the apps that they needed to interact with that sort of thing. So like for my older kids, it was not as big of a deal, but for Toby, um, we are going to be um, crafting for him a communication plan, which I don't know if you're familiar with in Ohio, that we have this, um, there's a document that was put out by um, the, um, 
by Ocali. They mm-hmm. are the, the they house the document. They own the document. Um, and it takes you step by step through a lot of different um, parts of, of the day and all the different ways that you need to be able to communicate. And it writes down a plan so that you have so that you've, you've hopefully thought through everything. <laughs> so how is your student going to get the, um, the announcements from the PA? How is your student going to receive information if there's an emergency? How is your student going to um, get, make sure that they have all the information they need for homework sort of thing? Uh, it really starts to do step-by-step all the different ways that, um, that communication happens in the school. Um, and it and you draft a plan. Um, so we're actually going to be working on that for to for Toby um, in order to hopefully help him have a little bit more of a of a smooth time as far as as his communication needs go need to be going forward. Yeah, no, I think that's a an excellent idea for parents to be aware of, especially because the accommodation that are in place for them currently might not be the accommodation that they need with the extra safety and health um, precautions such as mask and distancing um, and virtual learning that are taking place right now that really complicate, like you said, um, learning and especially um, with interaction and and the early grades as well. So... Mm -hmm. All right. So, Camille, you talked a lot about remote learning, and I think we have some really good tips about what we could do if we end up pivoting back to that or with a hybrid model. And then I love that point about having a communication plan that um, Ocali has, um, and I will definitely link that after our episode today. So if people want to take a look at that, they can um, revisit that information as well. Um, But what I wanted to talk about next is just over the summer, now that uh, everybody's kind of been home and you've been able to um, go back out a little bit safely, is there communication challenges in your everyday life with your kids that you've noticed? Um, The first time, so we, we have been very cautious as a family, as far as going out goes. Uh, We, we really took the stay at home order to heart and my kids have not, you know, even, even to this day have, have had sort of limited exposure um, outside with the exception of going to, to parks and walks and, and things like that. Um, but I, I do have a, have a memory that um, I say it was in June, um, Ellie, my 17 year old and I both made an appointment to give blood. Mm-hmm. And when we got there, it was one of her first times really interacting with a lot of people in masks. Mm-hmm. Um, and she hadn't, she she struggled with with listening to the people at the check-in and and understanding people as they were asking her um you know health health questionnaires that are required before before giving blood and things like that um and so that was sort of like i knew in my head that this was going to be a problem but that was the first time that i really observed it um and she knew also similarly that it was, she knew theoretically this was going to be an issue, but then to actually experience it's kind of a different thing. Mm -hmm. So. 
Yeah, yeah, no, and I kind of felt the same way Ellie did. I remember I knew it was going to be a problem, but until you put yourself in that situation and experience it for the first time, you're like, oh, wow, this this is really hard. Uh, and so was, I think I had gone to the grocery store and it was just it was a closed set of questions not even I mean that's a that's a pretty open set of questions as far as giving blood this was like are you paying by credit card or do you want paper or plastic and um it was still you know that short amount of time took a lot more energy to focus and pay attention and and be an advocate and ask for for repetition in that kind of a situation which kind of brings me to The next topic that I wanted to ask you about is, first of all, do you know how your schools are opening and what your kids are doing? And um, the second part of that would be, what do you think some of the challenges about reopening might be for and what parents should be aware of? Sure. School district has actually not yet announced how they are going to open the first week. Um, They are tying their plans very closely on a week by week basis to how our county is doing on our statewide um, map. So they, they code our each county by, um, by color. So that if you're doing great, then you're a yellow Um, And if you're not doing so great, then it goes to orange and then red and then purple. And so our school district has decided to tie themselves to that rating system, which is announced every week on a Thursday. And so based on each Thursday's rating, we'll determine how our school operates in the following week. Um, And this is their plan for the entire school year. So I don't really know. Um, much more than, you know, it, it, whoever knows, you know what I mean? It's kind of like, well, I, I think it almost, it's all a, it's all a mirage anyways, <laughs> whether anybody ever knows what's going on, but we really <laughs> don't know what's going to be happening <laughs> until Thursday of any given week. And so it appears as though we are highly likely to start in an e-learning um, manner and then if things get better, we may be moving to hybrid, um, but things would have to be going really, really well for us to ever be all in. Um, and that's kind of kind of how they're, they're looking at doing it. So I just told to be prepared to be e-learning um, because they, they both want, the, the two who are going to be returning to the, to the public school both want to be in school. So um, I'm just hoping that at some point we will get to a point where we can go hybrid. Um, so yeah, the the my 10 year old and my 13 year old um, will both be returning to either e-learning or hybrid, however we start, um, and continuing the school year thus at our at our public school. Um, my the reason and the reason for that is that my um my 13 year old there was she really wanted to return for band um she plays clarinet and she was very excited at the end of last year that she was placed into the highest band that she could be placed into um and she had worked very hard for that and so because of her 
strong desire to return for band and also the e-learning platform, like the online academy, they call it. If we had chosen only online, um, that would not have offered a foreign language um, for middle schoolers because they consider that to be an advanced class. Mm-hmm. So, um, so because of those two reasons, she wanted to return to school. And then my, um, my son, who's going into fifth grade, is also identified as gifted. And our school district is not doing any gifted intervention services via the, um, the online-only platform. Mm-hmm. So in order to have him receive gifted intervention, we, um, we opted for the in-person, if it happens. Okay. <laughs> I don't even know what to call it. <laughs> right. Um, well, it tri- like you said, every Thursday, we will know... Right. Every Thursday, it really is a week by week um, plan, is what it is. It is. It is. <laughs> so, it is. just say um, that your area and the Columbus area ends up getting to a um, level that they are able to go back hybrid or mm-hmm. even uh, five days a week. Uh, do you have any? thoughts about that? I mean, I know you talked about the communication plan and going through that a little more deeply in order to ensure that your kids' accommodations and and needs will be met. But is there anything that really off the top of your head that you can think about as far as reopening and actually physically being back in school that creates either, I I don't want to call it anxiety or I... I don't know, uncertainty as a parent? So I think that the thing that everybody worries about um, is, is always masks. Um, and I've, I've done a lot of reading up on, on masks and, and research into types of masks and visual access masks and cloth masks and, and all of the different options. Um, and I think what it really comes down to is that um, it, it's going to have to be some some level of trial and error. Um, I don't think that there is a single a single solution as far as masks go that will help every student with a hearing loss. Mm-hmm. Um, some students may prefer to have their teachers and peers and anybody that they communicate with in a simple cloth mask or a disposable surgical mask um, that does not attenuate the sound very much because they're a very um, auditory learner. And other students may really need to have that visual access that's given with a, a window mask or um, some kind of a face shield type mask. Um, but there's a lot of sound attenuation with those options. So it's really, unfortunately, it seems to be at the moment a big trade-off where there doesn't seem to be a whole lot of access both ways. Um, So I'm hesitant to to make a statement about what my kids will end up using because I I don't know. Um, We haven't tried enough different options, enough different kind of listening environments to figure that out. But I do suspect that the, um, the Roger system, the DM system will be more important 
than ever um, because of the sound quality issues mm-hmm. because of masks. I agree 100%. And even our kids, uh, you know, the peers who may have normal or near normal hearing, as well Mm -hmm. as their teachers, are going to all realize, I think, the impact that hearing has in in the classroom when you have muffled speech and, and, you know, communication is a two-way street. So um, I think having an improved signal to noise ratio for all of our kids, whether you know you have hearing loss or not, is going to be important at this point right. in time um, right. with everything going on. And then right. I, I hear about different schools who want to have less kids in the classroom. So they're using other spaces such as an art room or um, a part of a gym to have mm-hmm. a classroom, which again changes the acoustics of the classroom, um, mm-hmm. which makes it more difficult to hear when it, there's sound bouncing around. So there's all these other like layers that kind of come apart <laughs> when right. you um, think about everything that goes into reopening schools um, and even things like taking carpets and things out of room which absorb sound but we want it to be clean so there's like like you said there's not it's going to be a trial and error with um different types of accommodations and supports as we reopen schools again right so yeah no, it's all true. go ahead <laughs> I, I, I was just going to say no i i completely agree and when you also think about um I, and again i don't I, I don't have a whole lot of in-depth knowledge about what my district is doing, but I have seen plans from some districts that include things like um, little plexiglass dividers between desks and around desks. And, and just thinking about the number of hard surfaces there um, and, and the reverberation in those rooms, um, it's, it's going to be challenging. Mm-hmm. And perhaps the answer for all students will, will also help the students with with hearing loss and that's more visual supports mm-hmm. um, and making sure the, the things that I ask for, for my kids, like announcements being written down, homework being written down, things not given only orally, um, but also visually may end up being more the norm for more students. Um, and that, you know, that's not a bad thing. No, I I agree 100% that we're going to see a lot more visual supports coming just because of the nature of how the classrooms are going to have to be set up. And then I've heard about classrooms having to go outside because it's better to be outside than inside. So I think that creates a whole other challenge if, if you're spaced out and wind noise and if you happen to be near a road and all of those other factors that go into being outside too. So there's going to be a lot to think about as we open. Um, right. It can kind of be overwhelming, I think. But um, as a parent, is there anything that, because it's so overwhelming, that you've thought about that kind of calms you or different tips that might help other parents as they're going through this unknown, unchartered territory? 
Yes, I do have a couple of tips that I oh, can good. share. I'm glad. I these, knew are, you would. these are things that, that we're talking about in my family and what we're trying to do. Um, the first one is practice. Um, a practice with your your kids, making sure that they can put their masks on and off by themselves, ideally. Mm-hmm. Um, when you're wearing um, hearing aids or cochlear implants or, or glasses um, or all of those things, putting on and off a mask is actually not as that easy, you know? Um, and so we've gone through lots of different styles of masks and different um, means of adjustment. And um, especially with my 10 year old, you know, he just, he, he wants to just throw it on and go and we've had to make him slow down and find out, you know, which side is up and make sure that <laughs> everything is oriented correctly before he just throws that, that mask on. Um, because it just doesn't work if it's not on correctly. Um, so, you know, I, I would just say, and it's, that's just sort of a simple thing, but practice putting on masks, taking them off, taking them off without getting them caught in hearing aids. Um, last thing you want to do is go crawling around on hands and knees looking for, for a hearing aid that just went flying across the room when, you know, your child tore off their mask. Um, so that that's my first thing. That is that is a very good first tip. Let me tell you. <laughs> and then by practice, but in a different way. It's also practice listening. Um, practice listening to people who are wearing masks, um, and practice your your self advocacy skills um, in different situations and with different people. So the way that that your child might need to self-advocate with a teacher would be different than how they need to self-advocate with a peer um, or somebody in the office or, you know, somebody in the cafeteria. If they're, if, you know, in different, different situations, they need to be able to read that situation and self-advocate appropriately um, with adults and with other peers. And that's really hard when, you know, so much of your body language is expressed in your in your facial expression and that's also covered up so you know practice reading reading people practice communicating practice self-advocacy those are all great tips as far as (laughs) that can be used i think again online and in person and and the mask not as much in line online which would be the bonus of being virtual compared to being in person um but even just you know that practice of listening online and in person um is going to be important too and i love the self-advocacy skills um and you bring up a really good point about practicing those self-advocacy skills with different people um Mm -hmm. Because, like you said, you're, with your friends is a lot different than what you're learning in class, and and who you're talking to in the office um, is really important to advocate at at those different ways as well. So, um, so kind of as we wrap up, I wanted you to just share. I know you are um, heavily involved, um, actively involved in Ohio Hands and Voices. Can you just share a little bit about your role with Hands and Voices? And um, th- these would be like 
the tips that you shared today would be like awesome tips just to go ahead and put on the website right now, because I'm sure as people open back up, this is exactly what parents need to hear um, to ease some of that um, stress that they're probably experiencing right now. Sure. Um, yeah, I I am involved with Ohio Hands and Voices. Um, Ohio Hands and Voices is a parent-led, parent professional advocacy um, or parent professional uh, collaborative organization. Families who have children with hearing loss, regardless of their mode of communication. So we support families who um, use a spoken language, families who use sign language, families who use um, any combination of both and or cueing. Um, and we support them across all um, times in their lives from the moment of identification all the way um, through transition um, after high school. So we, we do that through kind of parent-to-parent mentoring and parent-to-parent support. We also do it through a, um, a program with advocacy in the schools that is called ASTRA, and that stands for Advocacy Support and Training. So we do trainings for parents and professionals both, but um, specifically our, our audience is generally geared towards parents who have children with hearing loss to help them through that IEP process um, from from um, starting in, in preschool all the way through post-secondary transition. So my role with Ohio Hands and Voices is that um, I've been involved with them for I eight or nine years, mm-hmm. and um, I sit on the board of directors. I am past president, um, but I do not currently uh, hold a... a um, position on steering. I'm just a board member. Um, and I volunteer also as an Astra advocate. So I also help families um, who need a little bit of additional um, information or support or advocacy um, through the IEP process. So those are my those are hats that I wear with Ohio Hands and Voices. Uh, well, th- thank you for all you do for parents um, and for their their kids because I know parents they need to have other parents to, to talk to and relate to and know that there's somebody else in their shoes out there as they navigate the process and like you said from identification all the way through I'm sure now with Ellie thinking about <laughs> moving and transitioning to her next phase of, of life, with, right. hopefully with college and everything in the in the future, um, that brings about another time where parents really want to have that support as well. So um, right. thank you for all of that you do in Ohio. And um, you have just been such an amazing um positive, proactive person. And Mm -hmm. I'm just glad that our paths have met um, or crossed through the newborn hearing screening and um, through other um, ways as well um, with other adventures with Ellie. So it's been really um, fun to get to know you and your family too. So um, I just want to say thanks again for being on this episode. Um, I know our listeners have gained 
a lot of important insight and important takeaways as they navigate through these uncharted waters of going back to school, whether it's remote or hybrid or in-person. Uh, listeners, check out the episode summary for a link to Ohio Hands and Voices. And there are some great family resources on that website um, that will help you as you start thinking about reopening or um, continuing through this school year. So again, thank you, Camille, for, for being here tonight. And thank you, listeners, for joining me. Thanks, Carrie. I appreciate it. It's fun. This has been a production of the 3C Digital Media Network.